Hey, everyone, and welcome to Group Text. My guest today, I don't know how to put this nicely, will not shut the fuck up. And I love her for that. Judy Gold has done it all. She's the best-selling author of Yes, I Can Say That. When they come for the comedians, we are all in trouble. Her third off-Broadway show, which is based on that book and shares its title, debuted to rave reviews this past spring and will tour in 2024. Kill Me Now is not only my personal mantra these days, but also the name of Judy's wonderful, immensely popular, and long-running podcast. She's done comedy specials for HBO, Comedy Central, and Logo, as well as been in the films and on TV shows like Surge Party, City on a Hill, and Better Things, just to name a few. As a writer, Judy has won two Emmy Awards. Well, it's more than anyone in my family's won. For her work on the Rosie O'Donnell show. It's a it's, daytime. It's so it My mom does. has a daytime Emmy. I know. I did her show. There you go. Mm-hmm. And it's th- you've got three comedy albums under your belt. Most recently being the pee in your pants funny, kill me now. Yeah. I'm going to stop here because we got a lot Who to cares? talk about. Who cares? I don't even give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty soon she's going to tell me to shut the fuck up. So please no. welcome to group text. The tall, lesbian, Jewish, dear friend of my mother's. Judy Gold. That, I can't. That was the best intro I think I've ever had in my entire life. I Isn't it amazing when someone does an intro and they list everything? You're like, well, I'm not the complete and total failure. I, I know. I I'm like, oh, you know, wow. I, you know, I did what? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm old. But I also think that when people bring me on stage, they're like, what do you want me to say? I'm like, I don't know. Just introduce me. Yeah. You know? Or- when you do a TV show and they say, what do you want the Chiron to say? Yeah. I want to say, like, it should read the truth, like, stressed. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Anxious. In a clinical depression. Exactly. Medication being refilled. Let's hope there's enough left (laughs) in the bottle to get her to the point that the refill shows up. (laughs) Withdrawal. Hungover. Exactly. Tired. Tired's a good one. But you're a par- yeah, you're a parent also, so we'll get to tired, and you're a boy mom, so like uh, me. Two boys. Let me tell you something. As a com, am I allowed to talk yet? Because I'm so no. afraid to talk. No, you can talk whenever you want. The whole parent thing and the and being tired. You know, being a comic, all these guys, mostly guys, and I'll include women with that, but mo- it's mostly guys. Are like, oh, I just I just got off the road and I'm really tired, and I'm like, fuck you, you know. Get up and get your kid ready to fu- to go to fucking school at 6.30 in the morning. Make them lunch. Pick them up. Deal with them. And then go out and do your... I mean, it's... The whole... That whole definition of tired completely changes when you become a parent. And how about when you forget something and it's like the end of the world. Right. And you're running back and forth to school. Or... Right. They've oh. forgotten something that they need, and we'll get to being a sports mom in a minute. And coaches said the let them pack their own bags, and you're oh, like, yeah, no. they need to grow up. Yeah, no, you still bring them their cleats, right? And then it was so annoying when it would be like, "Hi, mommy." Um, so my book report I left in, and you're like, "I have a fucking meeting." And they just, they pull on your heart and you're like, oh, I don't want to, I'm going to get a really bad, I'm like, all right, fine, fuck. And it's like, I mean, the the good thing about it is that it's not all about you, but it's also like, you're fucking annoying. So your younger son, Ben. Ben, he's six, eight. And how, but how old is he? 
He's 20, he's 21. He'll be 22 in August. Okay, so he's the same age as Cooper. So we've, now he, I know Trinity. That was yeah. one of the schools I looked at. That was one of the schools Cooper lack, looked at. But you're a sports mom like me. Cooper plays uh, lacrosse. Oh, and, lacrosse is very hot now. Yeah. Um, but here's the question. Did you embarrass your child or were you accused of being embarrassing in the stands? Oh, my G dash D. First of all, I'm a lessee. So here's this kid who's playing AAU basketball. And then, uh, then he goes to, to a, a boarding school that is a feeder for basketball for college. And every other kid, you know, the fathers are like, <laughs> like they're living vicariously through every, every call. It's like, what are you talking? Like, and, and here's, Ben with these lesbians in the stands. Like, first of all, my ex knows nothing about basketball. So she's like, energy, let's go. Energy, come on. And then her 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 wife played college basketball. So she just is like, come on, box out. And it's just so annoying. And then Elisa and I, Elisa knows a lot, but she knows how to behave. But I I am that mama bear, like, because they're so mean in the stands. They say, they talk shit, and I am like, shut up. I've been kicked out for telling the kids to shut up. But they're so awful. And and I can't, I just, and and Ben's like, mommy, stop it. He's done this a lot, you know, from the the court. Yeah. But um, I cannot believe, I have learned so much watching my kid play sports about the culture of sports it's it's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy it's crazy because i know like first of all my mom at lacrosse games she, when anyone scored she would clap i'd be like no, no. <laughs> that was bad for us Right. And then she would say, she would say, Melissa, you take this so seriously. I'm like, it is. It's, serious. it's their whole life. Yes. It's, yeah. But it is. Yeah. I've been kicked out. Um, and I think wrongly, but I, I'm going to defer to your judgment on that because I am you. constantly told that I can be heard and would get the, <sighs> yeah, stop it. Like, shut up. And he'll, yeah. he would he accuses me of still at this college level yelling. He's like, I can hear you. And yeah. I'm like, dude, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't the one yelling. Or I'll be like, I wasn't there. Yeah. So I don't know right. who you heard. When, but- I, when I'm, because we watch it on, you can watch it on uh, the live oh, the feed. live stream, of course. Right? And my brother or my sister or someone in another part of the country would be like, I heard you. And I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> but I do the same things. It makes me feel it's because we love them. Also, as I explained to Cooper the other day, I'm like something went wrong. I'm like, you don't understand the amount of hours that like what I've devoted to this. He goes, right, not as many as me. Oh, I know. And there, yeah. I was like, he's like, I'm the one out there at practice and running around. I go, yeah, but when you're not on the field, you get a break. I'm still playing. I play a full game. Right. Never let down, pacing around the stadium. Oh, yeah. Driving there, driving back, mm-hmm. taking them all out to dinner. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's really a whole different, and it's so different. From, I mean, it's, no, it is different from showbiz. No, not, but except the fact that 
I was very prepared when he was playing club sports, having grown up on the road. Right. That crappy accommodations. Yes. Don't even think twice about it. Yeah, I know. The hotels. Yeah. And the other parents. And then you bond with the parents and then the kid moves to a new team and you're like, bye now. Yeah. Or for us with his club team, I'm still very close with a couple of the parents. Yeah. Just like I was the only mom because I was a single parent. Right. So I was traveling around with this pack of dads. Yeah. So it was, it was. Did you get any action? No, no. I was the one that all the mothers would text me for scores during the game. Oh, nice. Because their husbands were ignoring them. Yeah. So that was my job. Anyway, yeah. let's move on. I just, I, when I was reading about your son, I'm like, oh, uh, uh, someone who might understand my insanity. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, but let's talk, we're going to talk about the book in a minute, but I want to go back to when you were a kid. Ugh. Did you, no, but did you get laughs? I mean, realize the power that came with that, or did you figure it out later? Like my mom was always funny. My aunt was actually funny. Their dad was funny. Did so you- in my house growing up, it was the, it was so sarcastic. Like no one spoke and we spoke in sarcasm. There was, and we were not physically, they were not physically affectionate, but a clever comment, something that made them laugh. That was better than a hug. Really. It was, it was the validation. And in school, I was six feet at 13 and oh, I, Jesus. yeah, it was fucking hell and i was bullied and they would just humiliate me i was humiliated on a daily basis and in my head i'm like you fucking ass you know i had some agency i don't know why and so my mother told me to ignore them they're jealous i'm like mother not jealous no one wants to be fucking six feet tall at 13 but you know the boys are jealous this whatever And so I didn't say anything. And then later on in my late forties, early fifties, one of my therapists said she was wrong and you should have stuck up for yourself using humor. But I think because, um, because I was so humiliated and I, I I think that it was the perfect recipe for being a standup because I wanted to elicit laughter on my own terms. And I was fearless because I had been treated like shit for so, in public for so long that nothing you you do to me is going to hurt. Um, I mean, it will for it'll sting, but I can move on from that. And I think that that plus the fact I, I, I am telling you, you know, your mother was a huge part of my growing up because, you know, there were these comedians that my parents loved and I loved. And, you know, you don't have that now. We have such a separation between the entertainment our kids like and what we like. Um, and she she was such an influence on me, her and Toadie Fields, because of the fact that they were fearless and that they 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 said what everyone was thinking. They were, you know, and and smart. She was so smart, your mother. Um, so it was. Yeah, it it was that we loved comedy, that we were didn't know how to be like loving, so we just made jokes and the humiliation. And I think that's why I became a comic. Yeah, I mean so much even even in real life people deflect through humor. I watch, you know, I'm in no way have any desire to ever be a stand up and everyone says to me all the time, Oh, you should do stand up like no, because right. I have enough fucking inferiority complex issues. <laughs> Um, and and I, I've already put my 
I'm already putting my therapist's twins through Ivy League schools. So, oh, nice. You know, I'm a giver. Yeah, that's so I'm, nice. I'm a giver. But we all deflect through humor. I find, you know, but you talk about like emotional stuff. I will always deflect through. Right. It's a coping mechanism. It's a total coping mechanism. It is a, but on the other hand, it's a weapon. That's the other thing. It is a weapon. And if you don't have that weapon, there's no way for you to compete. Uh, and so, I mean, that's why when we think of the pe- person who is being indicted or has been indicted, sorry. Um, it's so he, hard to keep which ones are. I know. But, but you, in right. Process, but you look at, he couldn't go to the White House Correspondence Dinner. Fascists, people who, you know, he, Mark Twain said, under the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. And that is so true that, that uh, you know, Hitler, I know, who, okay. what podcast is anything without mentioning Hitler, but very few. He, in 1934, first, well, in 1934, he passed the Treachery Act, which made um, telling or listening to an anti Nazi joke an act of treason punishable by imprisonment or death. And the reason he did that is because comics like your mother, like Lenny Bruce, who I know had a huge influence on her, were speaking the truth. They were the ones who were speaking the truth and it weakened Nazi propaganda, the, the cabaret people and, and the comics. So he passed this law that you could not tell or listen to an anti-Nazi joke. But one year prior is when they started burning books. So that's why I get so scared. You know, we're burning books in Florida, right? And, you know, this cancel culture, this silencing, I mean, satire and humor is the last bastion of free speech. And it's a direct, I think it's in, in, it is a direct descendant of our first amendment. I mean, we're, you know, it's part of our culture. Oh, I, I agree 100%. But, you know, just to roll back a tiny bit, there was so much pushback specifically against women comics at the oh, time yeah. that my mom came up. I mean, and she was introduced on the Sullivan show and on the Carson show as a girl writer. Right. Which I find so fascinating. Were you, did you find you were never, were there were points where you weren't taken seriously? Oh because my Because you were God. a woman? Always. But I think because I was gigantic, um, you know, I took up a lot of space. I mean, that's the things with men, the thing with men, they take up a lot of space. And I think it was a challenge. First of all, I wasn't straight. So I wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't fucking any of the guy comics. They weren't, I mean, they would, of course, they would sexually harass me all the time. And I was like, go fuck yourself. And I could get away with this because I was so, I was taller than them, you know? Right. Uh, But yes, it was the amount of times bookers would purposely book a show so that I would fail or they thought I would fail. Um, the the comics that would bring me up uh, and, you know, always are our, our, our next comics, a woman. I'm right. like, and then I would give it right back. That was our, our MC. He's got a balls and uh, a penis and he hasn't done his laundry in, you know, five months because he's a male. So I gave it back to them, but definitely for sure, um, I would call clubs. I remember in the eighties and I'd say, hi, I just did, you know, Caroline's comedy hour and evening at the improv and VH one stand, you know, some, whatever shows were on then. 
and they would say, yeah, yeah, we had a woman here, like a girl, a girl, girl. Yeah, here, a uh, girl comic here, I don't know, three months ago. She didn't do well. So right now we're not hiring any female comics, but you could check back. And I'm like, and every guy who was on your stage killed. No guy right. has ever had a bad set. Apparently. Yeah. Um, and it was also that, you know, you look at, at your mother and the, the women of her era having to do a joke in the beginning of their act just to disarm the audience for them to say, okay, I know, I know what you think of me. Okay. I got it. Let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room. I'm a woman. Um, I should be at home doing laundry. Uh, okay. Got that out of the way. Here's here are my jokes. And yet I still think that goes on. I still think that when, you know, there are people, they see a woman, they don't want her to succeed. The men are threatened. And, you know, you can't look, se- you couldn't look sexy at all. No. You could not because the men would objectify you. The woman would, women would be jealous of you. Um, it's not, it's just until, it's just recently that you see these comics like looking sexy on stage. Oh, yeah. Okay. And even then, even you, you go, wow. Right. You're, we're so not attuned to that. Um, and you were talking about free speech and all those kind of things. Yes, I can say that. Your yeah. book. Yeah. What? What made you want to write it? So, okay. First of all, I've been really worried about the situation because I see the change in stand-up and I see really edgy comics saying to me, do you think I'm going to get in trouble for that? Like no one ever thought that before social media. Like you'd go in the club. It was a safe place for you to try out your stuff. I mean, it's the only art form where the audience is the vital part of the creative process. So we need you. And then you turn on us, you know? So um, I did this piece for Vice TV about these college bookers. Like think of Cooper and and I'll think of Ben and my son, Henry. Booking shows yeah, and telling the comedians what they can and cannot talk about. So I, they asked me to be the opposing viewpoint, which I was. And an editor came to me and said, would you write a book about cancel culture and free speech from the perspective of a comedian? And I said, absolutely. And of course it came out in July of 2020, which- Perfect timing. Yeah. And no book tour, but I did write the show that, you know, B.D. Wong directed and- um. It is, it is now like a live piece of art, which your mother's a big part of that. And, um, but it's, it's like, it came out in 2020 and I could add 10 more chapters. Right. Well, as it, and it's, it's a, it's an issue that's continuously evolving. Right. Or devolving. In right. Certain, and I certain. always think about your mom and how she would have to deal with this shit. Because it's, they're relentless. Well, I, everyone always asks me, what do you think she would do? I said, well, first of all, I think like Dave Chappelle, I would certainly hope she would get grandfathered in. But it hit me the other, it hit me one night, like exactly what she would have done. And, and you knew her, her pacing, all that shit. She would have said, okay, if I was allowed to talk about this. Right, right, right. This is what I tell you, but I'm right. not allowed to. Yeah, that's so brilliant. Yep. If we, if, 
if this wasn't such a hot topic, I would have an opinion and it it, would be blank. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty sure that's that's so funny. That would have been how she would thread the needle. I think. Yeah. Because she, she, but there have been times, I mean, it's just such a frightening time. And I love interviewing and talking to comedians or comics, however, whatever the gender neutral of comedians is. Um, Look at me. Whatever the gender neutral is. The gender neutral, yeah. It's like, what the? I hate the word comedian, though. I hate it. I think it's demeaning. But you have, if you just say comedian. Yeah, that's fine. How many people say comedian? Some guys will, and journalists will say comedian. And there was this club called Comedy U Grand in, uh, and it was open in the 80s. And on Thursday nights, they had, this it was it was just female comics only on Thursday nights. We would get five dollars. I'll never forget this. And this is where I met like Joy Behar and Susie Essman and and all these people. And it was the only night of the week that we could work together because if there was a woman on the show, there was one, and that was it. You we never worked together. And the way they would advertise in you know the Village Voice or the Daily News or the New York Post was. Thursday nights, all female comedians, like they were doubling down. And it was like we were this sideshow act. And to this day, three women on a show is a special event. And three white guys is a show, is a comedy show, you know? Well, it was not so much anymore because you got to deal with all sorts of stuff. But you you write about comics who are from, and I hate, again, this term, marginalized communities. Right. People of color, LGBTQ um, we've women, already talked yeah, about women. Yeah. What what makes those particular perspectives uh, so unique and funny? And I know it's about what you've experienced. Right. But I'm always wondering how they don't fall into the trap of cancel culture. Because a lot, like, even comedians who make fun of themselves and comics who make fun of their own family get in trouble. Right. Right. It, I think that the people who well first of all i believe in intent so you're right. you know if you take the intent like what is the comic trying to say um which i talk about that if you commit murder and you're on trial for homicide your sentence is determined by your intent and yet comedians don't get the same consideration but I think marginalized people, you know, someone who's not of, you know, othered, people who are othered have such a different perspective and, and they navigate life such a completely different way that these people who are offended, you, you, how can you argue with someone's point of view? This is my living experience. Right. So I think that and I think that's where the Chappelle thing comes in. It's like, Dave, you know, you're comparing the the tragedies and the, you know, the horrors of two completely different groups of people and and as if one's worse than the other and one doesn't get enough. And I think that's a weird way. I mean, I think Dave is hilarious, but I, I also... Some of the things, of course, but that's with any controversial comedian. I was like, oh, it's not that funny. That's not true. Um, but I wonder why he focuses so much on this 
this marginalized group. Like he has this little obsession with them. You know what I mean? So I do think marginalized people are the funniest people because oh. we're treated differently in the world. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of funny white, cis, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant men out there. Mm, I'm thinking about late night TV. Other than there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're right. And they're, they have writers. Yes. Um, but it, it's so interesting because I, I believe so much in intent. Yeah. And it's, I, I, right. It, it's so much of it is intent. You write, we're all products of our history and stereotypes earned or not are part of our legacy. We can laugh at them for the spark of truth they contain and we should, and we can and should challenge them when they've been unfairly assigned or used to de denigrate. How easy is this though? When cancel culture has is so rampant, I know, and comedians still trying to be funny, right? And I think it's about specificity. If yeah. I'm if I'm talking about, and I got so much pushback. I would talk about my mother, and I would like literally verbatim say whatever the hell she said in her voice. And then these Jews on the Upper West Side, who you know never leave little Israel. Oh, she's promoting a stereotype. No, I'm not. I'm talking about my mother and I do it in Alabama. So shut up. Um, I, I think that whole issue is about the listener. Don't you think so? I mean, because you're, you're allowing yourself to, to take something you're offended. Okay. So you're offended. What do you do with that? You're like, I didn't like that joke. And you can move on with your life or you could try to destroy that person's life. Which is, is unnecessary. Cause I was just uh, checking my notes. I wanted to come out cause you do a very funny and Frank joke. Yes. Okay. But my mother, you're, I don't know if you know this story, um, got in trouble. Yeah. From the anti-defamation league. Yeah. Like, for making a joke, the Heidi Klum joke. Yeah, it's a, brilliant. It's brilliant. I use that as an example. Yes, that it's the truth. That there has, was it there, that she hasn't seen a German look that hot since they were standing. Right the, since uh, yeah, since they were standing in front of the. It, yeah. It's a brilliant joke, right. and it's and like Jews came after her, and she's like, "Excuse me." Well, first you know, of all. My family, I, she's like, my husband had no family because of the Holocaust. The thing, the other thing is she's talking about the Holocaust. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, did Germans put Jews in ovens? Yes. yes. It's all based in fact. And the joke is about the word hot. It's not about the horrors of the Holocaust. No. But her mentioning the Holocaust just uh acknowledges that it happened um and and the fact that we can't talk about that we, we see what happens when we can't when when people try to silence people it, it's dangerous it doesn't work yep it doesn't work the other thing that i've been musing on that i think you'd be great to talk about is okay i am gen x and not only did we not get trigger warnings but we were expected to ready for this, cope. cope. I'm sorry, what? Cope. Exactly. I mean, my yeah. parents expected me to cope. Nowadays, if you oh, are, please. you're a bad parent for teaching that particular life life skill. And um, 
I personally made sure that Cooper was raised with coping skills. I mean, he's not feral. Right. You know, but he's also not a snowflake. Right. And how how do you walk out on stage and think, I'm going to trigger somebody? It's, you know, and, and live in this. I mean, if I see one more trigger warning. Oh, please. If you don't like it, don't watch. Snoop right. Dogg was, but Snoop Dogg was once, and this is a great story, was hired to do some charity event or private concert. And he did the Snoop show with the pole dancing and the this. And the people were horribly offended and couldn't believe it. And he said to them, you, you hire Snoop, you get Snoop. A hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, how do you find your way through it that suddenly you, I I just never like with triggers, like, oh my God, I'm going to talk about going to the dentist and someone just had bad dental work. Right, right. Exactly. That's so true. Like, And they're going to get upset and and, and, and be triggered in the audience and be drooling. I mean, how do you work your way through that? Because you're very much um, an intellectual on how you perceive comedy. Right. I, I know, which is so boring, but not to me. I, I, th- lo- I find it fascinating. You. I love I love the art of stand up. And so what I do is if someone's triggered, I'm, I call them out. I'm like, what? It is not about you. And I also say in my act, no comedian was thinking about your childhood trauma when they wrote their material. That's it. If you don't like something, you get up and leave. Change the channel. You know, you don't laugh. Right. You know, my friend Eddie said, um, which is so true. uh, He said, going to a comedy club or a comedy show and getting upset that you got offended is like getting on a roller coaster and getting upset that you got scared. You know, it's the primary reason is getting scared, you know, too bad. Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to laugh. Right. No one made me laugh more harder than your mother. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. Thank, I mean, I just think it would be so impossible nowadays as a performer to, but to if anticipate you, what's going right. to trigger someone. And like, if you what, think like that, you're just cutting yourself off from really good material. How have you navigated the new world of oh, comedy? So, you know, it's so weird because all the rules changed. You know, you go, you do all the work. You're like, okay, I'm ready for my big... And all the rules change. Um, I I just keep getting on stage. And I go to the comedy cellar because they will not allow phones. The phones are completely locked up. I try to work clubs that are comedian-centered uh, instead of, I just want to make money here. Um, right. And I'm going to let the audience do whatever they want. And, but also, I'm kind of at the point where if people come to see me, they know what to expect. Yeah. You know, but it's really hard because I do find myself going, oh, shit. Uh, oh, I, maybe I should change it. Maybe I should do it this way. But you don't even know that until you try it out. Right. That's the thing. You know, it's like. We're we're a, we're doing a work in progress. Like you know, Van Gogh never stopped in the middle of a painting and was like, "Who wants another sunflower?" You know, in front. Of, you know, <laughs> it's it's it doesn't happen. How did you become disciplined enough to not self edit? I have 
I don't give a shit anymore. I have nothing to lose. I have been, you know, treated like a piece of garbage and, and I don't care anymore. I really don't. And it's like, you see these new comics and their whole focus is putting content on the internet, creating content. And I'm of the generation of the notebook and the, you know, writing material. I mean, I tell these young comics, and you know this better than anyone, that when we went on the road, there was no computer. There was no, no cell phone. There, I would bring one suitcase that was like a junk drawer. It had books, notebooks, my clarinet. Like you were, the whole purpose of you being there was the you know, an hour on stage that night. And if that sucked, then your whole fucking trip sucked. But you couldn't call home because the, the hotel phone was like hundreds of dollars per call. It's a whole, you know, I think people are now so young people, not our generation. Well, I'm older than you, but, you know, younger people are so used to mediocre comedy. I mean, I see so many comedians now who don't, there's no setup and, and punchline. There's or tag there. It's just like, let me tell you a story about, and if I get a laugh, great. Do you find that comedians are getting too hot too fast? And that, that they're they not prepared and they're not prepared and they don't know the grind of doing it. And also I think a lot of them, you know, they get hot really fast. They have one special in them and then they don't realize they have to go and get an hour and a half of new material. Right. Yeah, because you think about it, they get hot fast, which to us is what, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Um, and so you've worked, you know, say you start when you're 20. So you get your first special when you're 30, but it's even lower than that now. Yeah. Um, it's less time than that. Um, and then you're like, oh, I have to write all new material. Well, it took you 10 years to get there. Like you think you're going to do another special next year? Uh, and you know, there's something you get from stage time that you can't get any other way. So you're not even, you don't even know who you are for so many years. Those mileage. Yeah. And it's I think people mileage. fizzle out. They fizzle out. And it was, you know, look at your mother's peers and your mother. These people had careers for 50, 60 years. Um, not any, not anymore. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Do I'm you, 40 in. Ugh. What? I've been doing this almost 40, 40 years now. But that's because you started at 10. Yeah, that's true. I was in you college. Know. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. High school, junior high, elementary school. One of those. Yes. One of those yeah, educational yeah, yeah, yeah. places. Yeah. Um, you talk about your process. How long does it take you to walk away and say a joke is right? Because my mother... Would, as you, you knew, constantly wrote, constantly wrote, and recorded all of her sets. I know, and I hate record, and I got to do, I never did that because I, I didn't want to listen, so I take notes after my sets. Um, but I think I should listen. But, uh, you know, it's so weird because I'll sit here and write, and I'll have, like, these note cards, and I'm like, okay, I want to talk about this. And then... I get a punchline and I'm like, oh, that works. And then I want, then you want to expand on it. It takes so long. It really, 
it takes so long and it's getting it back up there because you could get a laugh on the first try and then the second try second time you do it you don't get a laugh and you're like what the fuck happened um i started working on this new bit before i went to israel uh about um you know the, that we have these jesus commercials now on television uh and it started out as you know you have one like funny thing to say about it and then it builds it you know and a lot of my and i know your mother did this too like you say it and then you you keep going you just keep going and and that's sort of for me how things develop in front of an audience but i'm always writing shit down you know like do, joke about black and blah 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 and you know and then you're terrified anyone these days is gonna find oh, please. your notes because oh, i mean yeah. It, yeah it used to but, be that the conservative though the conservatives used to being being the one policing speech and you have oh, someone no. who was so far left like a lenny bruce who was like you said speaking truth to power right but the paradigm is flipped yeah now it's the uber 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 liberals who say you can't say that right and they are the word that is complete antithesis of the word liberal yes number one uh, they are the complete antithesis and they are you cannot argue with someone's life experience who the fuck are you you know words have different meanings for us than they do for someone who's 20 years old right and we have lived through a hell of a lot more shit so we're allowed to talk about you know the aids crisis we can talk about aids i can say you guys okay mm -hmm. i watched my friends die of aids and you guys you know i was just in israel Israel. And I went on an Say it properly, or so all the Jews don't come after you. Israel. I went to Israel <laughs> and um, on an LGBTQ mission with a wider bridge, and we okay, were. That's 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 quite the group. Yeah, a wider bridge. They they they. No, I mean, I, I, I LGBTQ Jews in Israel. Yes, yes. And there was a lot. I'm sure there was a lot of shopping, discussion, waffling. No, and, it was all. No, I was a lot of a lot of people going. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of eating, yes, and a lot of... We had processing sessions where we had to talk. But it was very enlightening seeing oh, the bet. country through that lens because we went to all these shelters and and we went to LGBTQ centers. They all said guys. You know, like, when you're in a, a an area where your life is threatened every moment, you know, like, that's the thing about these lefty lefts, it's such entitlement that you're focusing on this when so many more important things are, are going, we're not, it's intent. It goes right back to intent. Which I believe and, in 100%. Yeah. And context uh, and nuance. And context yeah. context at 100%. Um, your show, you're taking it back out on the road. I can't wait yes. to see it. How did you, and I watched you and BD Wong on the Tamron Hall show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys are actually friends. Forever. How? Because, and he comes out of M. Butterfly. Oh, my God. Tony's and Serious Act yes. 4. And he probably has a process of preparing yeah. 
you know, how did you guys become friends? It just seems. Okay, this is the best. So we both were cast in Margaret Cho's sitcom, All American Girl. Uh Uh-huh. And I played her friend and he played her brother. And the way he tells it is, so, you know, like when, like the first day of camp or the first day of anything, you kind of are check you're feeling people out like who's going to be your good friend right it's never the first but anyway so he would say the most inappropriate things to me and he because he has this wicked sense of humor like really evil like just like us you know people don't realize that comics and family of comics we talk to we say things to each other we would never say to civilians okay so He said that everything he said, I never flinched. I have never flinched. I've just added on to it. And so we just had this bond. um, And we, that was 1994. And we have kept in touch since then. And he's, he's such, you're right. He's such a serious actor. He's so, um, he's so beloved and respected but there's this other totally immature, you know, I, he's one of us. He's one of us. And, but I, but I love that. But don't you also, it always catches me surprised when you, that a lot of comedians are the exact opposite of who they are on stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's always the level of neuroses and anxious right. and please laugh because I don't feel good enough and right. why didn't hug me. And there's that, all that yeah. general crazy with writers as well but don't you always find it odd when you meet a comedian and they're like boring oh my god and quiet and don't say anything funny or they do the the worst that's funny yeah it's so and no joy no joy it is or the ones which is probably the same that can't take you know, barbs from their friends, you know, like to realize that if you're, you know, someone says a joke uh, about you or to you, you that's like the biggest compliment, you know? Uh, Yeah. It's really, those people usually become writers though. Don't you think? (laughs) And just sit in the room by themselves. Because the only people crazier than, than comedians are writers. Yeah. It's like on the, on the, Food chain, right? Writers are just above lawyers. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes, just barely. Right, and they don't interact with people. Right, or agents. They really Uh, go low. Yeah, they do. So I hate to ask this because I know you're going to have 17 answers for me. All right. Other than surviving what Ben's senior year in college. Yeah, he's going to be a senior. He's junior now. Yeah, isn't it scary how? large it's smelly they become it's so disgusting they're like this this is my office it's usually really nice but he came home from college and i like there is a corner right here that you'll never see oh i just smell like the smell that i just keep cooper's door shut i did go in the other day and there were two wet towels one on a chair and one on on a on his bed and i'm like what is with the wet i I am like mold, you, like 
he i have a peloton the fucking wet towel on the pe- like it's literally feet away like what is with the fucking wet towels i don't i don't get it at all and the 75 showers a day yeah oh we well and not knowing how to load a dishwasher oh he knows that because of when we were in covid we had a divide and conquer oh nice Nice. i load it he he unloaded he was in charge of garbage and whoever was standing near the laundry when one of the machines ended had to turn the laundry unless it was our dryer because it wasn't working so well so you had to run it twice right oh Oh, good that's I good. Did, I did morning with the dogs. He did evening with the but dogs. But he didn't do the, like, yeah, I'll do that. And like, yeah, can I just do, like, wait a minute. I'll do it in, like, I get that. I'm yeah, going to no, do it, Mommy. Oh, yeah, oh, I wait. get that. I get that, too. But during COVID, it was like, we both wanted to come out of it alive and not have one of us put on trial. Okay, can I tell you one murder. story, even though you're yes. going to get mad at me? Okay, no. but I think you'll love the story. Okay, so my kids, did did Cooper go to summer camp? No, we're West Coast. We don't do summer camp. Oh, right. So Jews on the East Coast, they go to. So anyway, Henry, my older son, who, if he could be a bigger, no, they're both slobs. So he's, they're both going away to sleepaway camp. And I had asked Henry to take down the recycling to the basement a hundred times. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And it was like, so, and I, you know, nudgy, I was nudging and nudging. And then I come home. And the recycling's in the basement. It's the night before we're leaving for camp. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Henry. And all his stuff is packed. Everything's gone. And uh, he goes to camp. Him and Ben go to sleepaway camp. And then we pick them up seven weeks later. And we're undoing the luggage and, you know, having to do laundry. And I open the bottom drawer of his dresser to put some clothes in and there's the recycling. <laughs> I mean, how fucking lazy. That's Seven amazing. weeks sitting in his fucking drawer. That's that's a teenage that's a that's a that's right. a that's a teenager. I yeah. before I let you go, I do have just just to expand on this. I have a friend who packed her son up to go to camp, sent him off came home and she's un she was unpacking and the top was a mess and as she was getting lower and lower in the duffel things looked really tidy and she realized he had only made he had only used the stuff on the top no way oh my god isn't that genius that's pretty smart yeah the best she's like i noticed the bottom one just not even been touched wow and she's like did you just wear the same t-shirt all summer he's like yeah pretty much Wow, lucky her. Exactly. So yeah. what are you what are you doing next before you go out on tour in 2024? Um, well, I'm oh, thank you for asking. I'm doing stand up. Uh, should I give the when is this airing? No, just go to was it judygold.com. Judygold.com or J E W D Y G O L D on Twitter and Instagram, but I'm I'm working in Pro- I do a residency in Provincetown every summer. I've been doing that since 1992 and that's the that's last time right. I saw your my, mom. My mother got there early because of you. Yes. She has never forgave you for that. Sorry. You told her she had to leave with extra time. I know, but she... she got there like two hours early. I know, but we got to hang out. So it was all a big ruse. No. I really... (laughs) It's really bad traffic. Whatever. Um, So, yeah. So I work in Provincetown. I'm going to the Montreal Comedy Festival. And just follow me on everything. And 
read my book and whatever. Listen to your podcast. Well, yes. I can't wait till you come out here with the one woman show. Oh, thank you. In LA. You're coming and opening. Of course. Okay, good. Of course. And I'll laugh at everything. Okay. Thank you. Judy, thank you so much. Oh my God. My pleasure. Ahura Media Production.